I was gaming, I was playing Goldeneye on Saturday with both Cam and Matt, who had both just finished the cocktail episode, and the first question of both of their mouths was, is Sean okay and or alive? Well, I hope you told them that they have to tune in to the following episode of the <laughs> podcast War Tennis Shoes to find out. That's the only way. Listen, it's a cliffhanger ended, okay? <laughs> That's how we get people coming back next week. Is Sean alive? Tune in next week. Same podcast war tennis shoes channel. Same podcast war tennis shoes time. Can you put, go back and put that in the episode? This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore And since I started singing they already added more So stop wasting time on the theme song Just tell us the name of the show It's called the podcast with tennis shoes What a terrible name for the show It's worse than the theme song Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,807 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I have my window open. What? Now it's closed. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that wasn't a euphemism. I am here with my two co-hosts, Bob <laughs> and Rob. How are you doing, Bob? Let's see how I'm doing. I went down to the post office. You got me a little... Amazon package today. Oh, that looks nice. I uh, don't know who it's from. It's addressed to a Bob. Let's let's see. Depending on the contents of the package, let's see what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> we're now an unboxing podcast. An unboxing podcast. Let's get huge downloads, man. <laughs> an audio unboxing podcast. All right. It's just what I always wanted. Okay, so explain this for the listeners. What what you just got in the mail? So this is a story dating back to, I think probably my. 14th birthday when Sean got me a VHS clamshell copy of Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers. I'm currently holding a DVD, which he ordered for me from the deepest bowels of Amazon, I imagine. The following year, for my birthday, Sean got me a copy of Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers, which I then gave back to him for his birthday. The year after, Sean got me a third copy of Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers, <laughs> which I gave to my cousin. The year after, I believe I got a fourth copy of Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers. <laughs> Henceforth, he texts me every day on my year of my birthday, stating, Happy Scooby-Doo and the Woo Brothers Day. Now, this is a Christmas present, so he's broken tradition in a sense, but the fact that it's a DVD means I know what I'm getting every Christmas until I die. So, Sean, this will put a smile to my face, and to answer your question, I'm doing great. What about you, Rob? I didn't get you anything. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. No, you got me a Christmas present I opened at Christmas time. What was it? The um, Gordon Bombay uh, pop figure. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the lamest Funko pop you could possibly imagine. It's just a dude. Yeah, it's just <laughs> wearing generic like, white dude wearing a jacket, a bomber jacket. That's Wearing it. his, like, coaching loafers. <laughs> Even for his Funko pop, Emilio Estevez couldn't bother to do anything good or cool. <laughs> he barely showed up. It perfectly captured. His performance. Uh, Sean, how are you doing on your second Neo Citroen? And you went, you like stopped us to go get slippers, and you're like, I'm so cold, and you were recording with the window open. <laughs> no wonder you were so cold. Yeah, I'm, I'm now toasty warm in my Christmas elf slippers, and I'm rocking my second cup of Neo Citroen for the night. So uh, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling pretty well right now. Thank you for asking, Rob. Nice. Thanks for getting out uh, George of the Jungle. I listened to it today uh, twice, as I'm known to do. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> you listened to it twice. I edited it 
twice because I'm doing much right. better today than I was yesterday because yesterday I was just finishing up the final touches on our episode for George of the Jungle and all ready to put it out into the world just in time for Monday afternoons as per usual. I was patting myself on the back and saying, Sean, you dog, you did it again. And then I hit delete everything for some fucking reason because i'm a dumb dumb person and after about 25 minutes of desperately searching for solutions to recover that and finding out you can't do that because it wasn't just deleted into the trash bin i'm just a fucking idiot and just copied over everything oh shit i had to do it all over again so that was my day yesterday i edited it twice and I was very unhappy about it. But I'm better now. I'm better now. So thank you for asking, Rob. But today, we're editing the next... No, we're not editing. Today, we're recording. <laughs> yeah. We're editing it live. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done with fucking editing. All right? We're not editing anymore. Yeah. This episode is being edited yeah. live. It's going out as is. Okay. Um... <laughs> Because we're talking about Journey to the Center of the Earth, 1959's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Bob, this is your choice. Why did you pick? Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I thought it was the Brendan Fraser version. <laughs> no. I hope you didn't watch the Brendan Fraser version. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I watched you the right one. Have because that was, <laughs> despite being one of three adaptations to come out of Journey to the Center of the Earth that year, the Brendan Fraser one is a Warner Brothers movie, and therefore you could not have watched it because it wouldn't count. Fine. This movie's kind of always been on my mind. My mom rented it for me when I was very young, and I just remembered bits and pieces of it. I remembered really liking it when I was a kid, and when it came... You know, uh, you know, after G-Force, I really needed to search my soul and be like, <laughs> why are we doing this to ourselves? Why would, why would I do this <laughs> to someone I love? <laughs> to the people I love? I wouldn't... No, I can't do that. And I saw Journey to the Center of the Earth and thought, hey, I remembered liking that. Let's pick that one and see how it goes. Can it be worse than G-Force? I need to rethink my pick for this week's episode then. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> I'm, I have been dreading your next pick, Rob, but we're saving that to the end of the episode. Don't tell us yet. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's see how long yep. we can stretch that out, Rob, before you ruin it by telling 100%. us what we have to watch next. But instead, we're watching Journey to the Center of the Earth. So this came out in 1959. It is a 20th century Fox movie. So it is not a Disney film. Although Disney had previously released 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, a Jules Fern book that was a massive success. And this movie was kind of capitalizing on that Disney magic by saying, we got to get in that Jules Verne business. It's only money in that pit. They're also, uh, in between these two releases, uh, United Artists also released Around the World in 80 Days. So there was a bit of a Jules Verne kick that was going in the 1950s. They finally thought they had the ability to do Jules Verne special effects. Emphasis on thought. I'm going to underline thought, <laughs> yes, thought in that sentence. Um, <laughs> Are you talking about the because lizards We'll get to it, scene? We'll get to it. So Jules Verne uh, was born in 1828. He's a French writer, most famous for producing the Voyage Extraordinaire, which is Journey to the Center of the Earth, The Trip to the Moon. Oh, wait, that's the George Melier movie. Adaptation of From the Earth to the Moon. Jules Verne book, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Journey to... Fuck, that's the same thing I already said. I've apparently written this down <laughs> in a bad way. He wrote other books. He wrote Around the World in 80 Days. He... <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. After he passed, was it 19... 19- 
five, somewhere around uh, five. Yeah, his son started releasing more of his unreleased works. And then after his son died, it was like after that point, his estate had finally released, I think, like the complete unpublished his work. So he, he released posthumously for quite some time. Just like uh... just like Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> Jules Verne's Tupac. Like they're all holograms somewhere. <laughs> so this movie was directed by Henry Levin. It was written by Charles Brackett, who uh, worked with Billy Wilder. He wrote The Lost Weekend and Sunset Boulevard. He also produced this film. Yeah. Music was done by the great Bernard Herrmann. When I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, son. Bernard Herrmann. Herman rocking the score for this. I gotta say, I think he phoned it in, but still cool. I got a, like, at the opening credits, I was getting a bit of, um, Black Hole vibes. I liked the opening credits. I was like, oh, this is really good, and then went, yeah. oh, it was, it was Bernard Herman, and then looked at, like, the insane resume that man Insanity. has. Insanity. He basically created yeah. the aesthetic of modern <laughs> yeah. film scores. And then, like, before this, he's got, like, Vertigo, North by Northwest, The Man Who Knew Too Much, like, it just keeps going. Plus, he did Psycho. His first score was Citizen Kane. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. His final score was Taxi Driver. This is a guy who, like, nailed the arc of his career. <laughs> so the film stars James Mason as Sir Oliver Lindenbrook, Pat Boone as Alec McEwen, uh, Arlene Dahl as Carla Gutenberg, uh, Peter Ronson as Hans, I believe it's Thoyer David? Thayer David? I'm pulling a Sean here and I can't read my own writing. Thoyer David as Count Sack Newson. That's the... Uh the square-faced man who's like a Pixar character. <laughs> um, James Mason was also a replacement for Clifton Webb, who had apparently fell ill weeks before production ran. Um, so James Mason was a last-minute replacement, which makes sense for this film, as he plays Captain Nemo in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I gotta say, um, I love him in this film. And I love him more than in 20,000. Like, it's a different character, and just shows that James Mason yeah. is an eclectic actor, and he can do a sort of anti-hero villainous yeah. character and he can do a joyful heroic character like in this movie um i liked him way better in this film i thought he was excellent in this movie <laughs> i've never seen Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea well you will eventually i'm sure we'll get to it yeah we'll get to <laughs> it we'll have to it's good it's a good movie i just like him more in this one i did i texted bobby last night when i was watching it and i said god that was funny <laughs> <laughs> I said, why does this guy hate women so much in this film? Oh my film? god, but does likes, he hate women? But why does he like little girls so much in Lolita? Because he's the same guy. He plays oh. um, uh, Humbert Humberts in yeah, Lolita or yeah. whatever. I've read, I read in a few different sources, um, he and Arlene Dahl apparently did not get along while filming. So was he improvising all of those insults? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he was improvising. <laughs> a woman! <laughs> and it was just, like, yelling at her. <laughs> Pat Boone, of course, uh, he was a pop star in the early 1950s. That's what he was known for. He had his transition into film. He'd actually worked. Sean, you and I probably best know Pat Boone as the guy at the end of the Weird Al Yankovic video, Gump, who eats all of Forrest Gump's chocolates. <laughs> My favorite undiscovered... That is making... That is the, the two episodes in a row with a Weird Al Gump reference. You have no idea how happy I was when I frozen when I, like, screen capped that part of the video. I was like, yeah, that's him, for sure. Sure. Oh, man. My favorite part about That's Pat Boone is I believe his 1997 is the year album called In the Mood for Metal, No More Mr. Nice Guy, where Pat Boone covers songs by the likes of Metallica, Ozzy Osbourne, what? Judas Priest, Kiss, ACDC, Led Zeppelin. It is maybe one of the funniest things I've ever listened to. I listened to oh it this afternoon. Oh, my God. Holy shit. You listened to this afternoon? Oh, yeah. Wow. You haven't heard Holy Diver until you've heard it come out of the mouth of Pat Boone. Wow. 
How old was he when he recorded that? Uh, he would have been. He's he's eighty eight now, and if that was in the nineties, twenty five years ago, so he would have been in his like late fifties, early sixties. Wow. And now, and my other piece of trivia, Arlene Dahl, mother to the great Lorenzo Lamas. What? That's right, Rob. Lorenzo Lamas, star of the hit television series Renegade, which you bought me the DVD set for that sat on my shelf unopened for many years until I realized, fuck you, I got rid of it. Just like every other DVD you have got me, it sat on the shelf unopened, keeping company with Dan Aykroyd's classic hit that tanks his career, Nothing But Trouble, sitting next to fucking Geostorm, and sitting next to Battlefield Earth. I will open and watch Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers. What's funny is that directly behind me is a copy of the movie Rob bought me last summer mobius morbius what's his fucking name <laughs> morbius which i never opened <laughs> of course of course you didn't it, it was like the week it came out it was so expensive it wasn't even like discounted <laughs> i was like yes uh, why why am i such a good gift giver i think your bad gift giving tendencies have rubbed off on me because <laughs> for christmas a couple years ago i um I asked my brother what he wanted, and he said he wanted the new Smash Brothers for Switch. And I said, what about Captain Toad Treasure Tracker? And he said, no, I I don't want Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. I want Super Smash Brothers for Switch. Are you going to buy it? Because if not, I'll, I'll, I'll get someone else to buy it for me. And I was like, well, I'll buy you something. And he was like, is it is it Smash Brothers? You need to tell me this. And I'm like, it's going to be something. And so <laughs> on Christmas morning, he opens it up. Nintendo Switch game-shaped present. And on the inside, it says Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. And he just lets out a long sigh. <laughs> and then I pull out another present addressed to me. And I was like, ooh, a present for me. And I open it up. And it's Super Smash Brothers. And I'm like, oh, that's what I always wanted. And he just looks at me with like the the – evil in his eyes and he just goes this bit cost you 75 dollars <laughs> and i was like but it's worth it he's like it's not do so i look like it. i'm laughing it's so this is a it. bit that isn't funny that you spent 75 dollars on <sighs> oh, it's so worth it anyway what are we talking about what what is the point of this podcast what are we we're oh journey to the center of the earth 1959's right starring pat (laughs) boone rob how does this movie start uh movie starts with a title card edinburgh 1880 no for that there's something important you're missing a very very important title card the fox cinemascope yeah you, you wrote that down too. I wrote down Cinemascope, baby. Yeah, I did some I did some digging on it. But if you you're much more knowledgeable on what this all means, well, Cinemascope was one of the first anamorphic processes for projecting widescreen film. So in the 1950s, it was developed by Fox and owned by Fox. Yeah, it said like registered to 20th Century Fox or whatever, trademark 20th Century Fox. Yeah, they owned the patents on it. Now, they licensed it out to other studios, including the Walt Disney Studio, when they made 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right. 20,000 Leagues is also a cinemascope film. This is a cinemascope film that uses the anamorphic process. And what that means is it's the film is shot using anamorphic lenses, which compress horizontally the image that is coming into the camera. The lens that sits on the front of the camera, Mm -hmm. so the left and right hand side are squeezed 
onto a square 35 millimeter frame, which is then printed onto the film that is in the film canister that they are shooting. Then after that process, when they project it out, they project it using a reverse anamorphic lens. Oh, makes sense. Which then projects it back out onto a wider frame. What that allows you to do is it allows you to shoot wider frames without using a like a, a, a wider lens. So a spherical lens, you'd have to either back the camera up or you'd need right. to shoot like a wider angled lens. Anamorphic, you can have a tighter angle that just shoots wider. It's essentially. really good for all those tight close-ups that they were doing for all the cave diving. They were really getting a lot out of that... Uh... <laughs> A lot of that frame. I mean, they do they do a lot of pan backs and they're showing these like huge caverns and I get it, but there's a lot of it's just like them like <laughs> trudging along through a tiny little cavern and you're like, good, I'm glad this was in widescreen. They actually credit the, <laughs> the lens manufacturers. This is lenses manufactured by Bausch and Lomb. I, I, I find old fashioned credits so funny because like they only would credit like seven things, <laughs> but like one of the things they always credited was like the dude who made the lenses. Yeah. There was obviously hundreds of people who worked on film, but it wasn't standardized to credit all of these people who like, you know, like the best boy and the guy who was like operating the camera. None of those people were credited. Right. It's, but the lens manufacturer, that was in the contract <laughs> to get the lenses. That lens I made 30 years ago? Sure. Put my name on the credits. <laughs> Essentially, it's the only way that they could get the lenses. There's a guy who's literally pushing the, the dolly cart like every single shot, not getting credit on the film. Yeah. I, no, I agree, Rob. I think the CinemaScope looks amazing for like the first 10 minutes of the film. Like it opens up and it's oh, like, yeah. like you said, Edinburgh. And you're just like, shit, this looks amazing. Right. It's this beautiful vista. You're looking at the cinemascope. It's anamorphic. It's 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio. You know, just great shots. It, and the, the remaster, it looks pretty damn good in this, too. Like, the remaster, it this looks was amazing. awesome. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> as soon as they go underground, which is, I remind you, the plot of the movie... <laughs> Yeah. It's just it's just a bunch of people crawling around in dirt and like a medium close up. So they don't really put it to much use. Yeah. Unfortunately. They did they used it a couple times. Uh you know, they had a couple of like, you know, they opened up into some giant caverns which were basically just matte paintings. But they were like <laughs> Ah, cinemascope. We can capture all of that matte painting. <laughs> there is some good mats in the film though. So like some there are some nice mats in the movie. I mean, honestly, for nineteen fifty nine, every like the remaster looked good. I didn't really particularly have the issues you guys had with the score. Well, it's not huge issues. The score is fine. I, yeah. I don't mean to be too hard on the score. It's just, it's just it's Bernard Herrmann, and it kind of was forgettable. Yeah. I liked I liked the opening credits, but for the most part, I was like, eh, this isn't his best. Yeah, they they they, they threw some money at this thing, and uh, I thought a lot of it played pretty they well. They threw $3,440,000 at this movie, so just about $3.5 And it grossed a 10, so it made like triple its budget back. You want to know what movie grossed more? Ben Hur, Shaggy Dog, <laughs> coming out the same year. <laughs> we we don't need to cover what came out this year because we've watched most of it. I looked at the budget too, and I did some uh, uh, calculations, some inflation factor on there. It made 102 million bucks in today's dollars, which is a lot, you know, all things considered. But for like a kind of like a special effects ten pole shot in cinemascope, 100 million dollars is kind of just like 
not that good these days. Well, I thought I'd read, too, that, like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea had a budget of, like, $9 million, which for the time was obscene. Like, it was enough that Mm -hmm. if the movie failed, Disney was in financial trouble if it did. Like, compared to that, this is, like, a more conservative budget. Oh, Disney did that a bunch of times. (laughs) (laughs) Disney just put all its eggs in one basket over and over and over again. His filmmaking strategy was just, like, put it all on black. That's just how he ran his studio. Bob, after we get all of those opening credits and after we get the Edinburgh title card and what happens next? You're introduced to the professor walking around the streets of Edinburgh on his way to the university as everyone is congratulating him on his recent knighthood. Uh, It's a big deal that a Scottish professor of geology has been knighted. You're then introduced to an awful fucking shot of him standing in front of a bookstore that he's clearly not in front of. What the fuck was that? We were talking about the cinemascope and everything, and he's like literally walking around the streets of Edinburgh, and it's gorgeous, right? And then it's just this insert shot of him standing in front of a green screen reading a newspaper. Well, it's not a green screen, first of all. Well, I don't even think it's a rear projection. I think it's just a painting of books. It's just somebody painted a wall to look like a bookstore and he's standing in front of a a fake painting of a a bookstore. Like it's a matte painting almost. so much longer. It would take so much longer than just getting some books. Like, they're a studio. They have, they have, like, props they have on hand and they could just put it on a bookshelf. What the fuck? It's so bad. I, I don't understand the shot. So, he's walking around town. A woman yells out to him and says, Professor, you should buy a copy of the newspaper. I believe they got your age wrong. Right. And then he thinks about it. And then this is all on location. So this shot is on location in Edinburgh. There is a military tattoo going on in the background. It's it's kind of, you know, it's quite nice. It's it's these it's these scenic shots. It then cuts to him standing in front of a fake bookstore that is clearly just painted onto the wall behind him and he then calls to a uh, a newsboy right. who what like waddles into frame right. and then like <laughs> darts his eyes to the camera to be like yes sir you would like a paper like it's the weirdest because fucking fakest like, shot you've ever seen he was like at a newspaper stand before talking to the woman and then he like walks. It's super confusing, right? Because the next shot is him walking and reading the paper, <laughs> and then he walks through the military tattoo. Did they just forget to shoot him getting a paper from the the lady? I think that's what it is. I think it was a pickup. Oh my god! And I don't. The thing is, I don't know if they forgot to shoot it or they thought it was a joke that ended up not playing. Like, they might have shot it where a woman says, you should buy a paper. I think they got your age wrong. And then he ponders it for a second, and then it cuts to him with the paper. And maybe in concept, that sounds like a cut that'll make sense, where, like, you oh, can yeah, put yeah, it together, yeah. oh, he had the paper. But then maybe when they screened it, it was confusing for people, because it does kind of look like he's not going to buy the paper, and then yeah. suddenly he has the paper. So... I think it was a pickup. I think they had to go back and shoot a pickup of him buying the newspaper with a different actor. Keep in mind, from the geography of the scene, <laughs> the wom- it's a woman selling the newspaper. 
But then it cuts to him in front of a fake bookstore receiving the newspaper from a guy. And then it cuts back to him in the same street. It's a very strange pickup. I was so confused by the whole thing at the beginning because he's playing it. um, What's his name? James Mason is playing it so confused. And then they say they got your age wrong. And I was honestly like, is he actually getting knighted? Like, what is happening? I didn't know what was happening because the movie didn't seem like it knew it was happening. And they did that whole insert pickup shot and made it even more confusing. And then they never even, like, cut to an insert shot of the newspaper saying he's being knighted. I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then they never address it again besides him getting the present at the beginning. Yeah, they're trying to portray him as a bit absent-minded. And so I think this is their way of introducing him as an absent-minded professor, so to speak. Well, he's reading, yeah, he's reading the paper. And as you said, he is so absent-minded, he literally walks through the military tattoo. And then being the army, they just walk around him. And this scene's like, the way it's played, like, you know, it's going to happen. But the look he kind of gives, you're like, okay, yeah, that, 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 that that's kind of funny. Once he's focused on something, he's very focused on it. So that could also be what this is setting up, too. Then we're introduced to Pat Boone. We are. And we're introduced to as to whether or not he's, if he's Scottish or not. <laughs> well, neither of them are Scottish. <laughs> in, in reality, James Mason's English and Pat Boone is very American. He's trying every so often. He's a wee bit Scottish, but like way, <laughs> way worse than my accent ever could be. Yeah. And by the time they get to the cave to go to the center of the earth, Henry Levin was like, you're, you're no, 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 you're American. Fuck it. This is not working. He, he, like, every once in a while will toss in one word that has, like, a Scottish accent to it, but that's it. A bit of a brogue on it. Yeah. I do have to say, and this makes no sense, but the fact that it's Pat Boone sort of made me give it a bit of a pass because, you know, he was a pop star who sold the second most amount of records to Elvis. Like, it's basically like Elvis showing up in a movie. Just stunt casting. And then, like, Elvis sort of doing a bit of a Scottish brogue. And watching it, you're just like, oh, he's trying. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really judge it. It was a weird place where I couldn't judge the performance because I was just like, oh, he's trying the Scottish brogue. Good for for you, Pat. Good for you. (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. Doing a little research about this film uh, and the book. Apparently, he was supposed to be German. Like, they were both supposed to- They're both German. They're both German in the original novel, written by a Frenchman. Yeah. And they changed the setting to Scotland. You're going to be casting American and British actors- like, I feel like making them German is just asking for trouble, you know? <laughs> and Scottish is an easier accent than German accent. I mean, this is also the 1950s. This is post-war. Like, there's a lot of... Yeah, oh, towards yeah. That too. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. That makes sense. You're only, like, 15 years out from the end of World War II, so... Sure. It's going to have a slightly different context you to have root for a German, German scientist <laughs> going into the center of the Earth. Gotcha. I mean, that, like, Nazis at the center of the Earth does sound like a 1950s sci-fi movie. Yeah, that totally does. That sounds like an awesome movie. <laughs> Pat Boone has uh, purchased a couple of gifts to honor the professor's knighthood. The first is, uh, on behalf of the entire class... The entire geology class that has shown up to honor the professor. And it is the ugliest fucking inkwell I've ever seen in my life. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck was that? I would, I would be offended if I received that as a gift. Yeah. Like, is it supposed to be a joke? 
are we supposed to take it as a bad gift? Because it's these giant ram horns that like hold up a tiny little inkwell. And it's like, you're not going to put that on your desk. It takes up the whole fucking desk. It's unusable and it's ugly as fuck. Like, what kind of a gift is I was this? like, that thing can't possibly work. And then he does actually have it on a desk later on, and it's staying upright. And I was just like, I just imagined him, like, that thing rocking back and forth on the Rams horns every time he tried to dip his ink in it. <laughs> just spilling ink everywhere anytime he tries to use yeah, it. Yeah, everywhere. It's the most, it's the worst gift I've ever seen. <laughs> Worse than any um, of the movies I've given you guys? <laughs> It's the second worst gift I've ever seen. It does, it does seem like something you would buy, Rob. Let's see if it's on Amazon. <laughs> Just for context, somebody once bought Rob for his birthday a copy of X-Men 3 The Last Stand and a Hammer and was horrified when he found out Rob watched the movie. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. The other gift that Pat Boone has bought for the professor is a volcanic rock that he saw in an antique shop and he said this looks very professory and he gives it to the professor and he's like i don't know what this is but you can have it It only costs two shillings and the professor's like oh thanks and he tries to make him feel good about the fact that he bought him an ugly fucking rock um and then he invites him over for dinner he's like come over for dinner i know you're a poor student but um you're my favorite student, apparently. He seems like his favorite student. Oh, clearly. And so Alec goes over clearly for dinner and student. he meets. He's like, come over here and like. Yeah, I know. They're like buddy, court buddy. my niece or whatever. Okay. So, <laughs> and then court my niece. So Alec goes over to his house for dinner and his niece opens the door who Alec is in love with. Uh, but he feels that he's too poor to woo her. He needs more money. He needs to be successful. He's in, he's in debt because he's a student, despite the fact that she's clearly in love with him and would clearly run away with him if he asked. And it's because he's Pat Boone. <laughs> and to show how charming he is, he sits down at the piano and he sings her this song with lyrics by Robbie Burns. And uh, I took a note of the song and my note says, I'm just going to turn to it here. <clears throat> well, now that's a pretty song. Yeah. <laughs> song i like the song i had uh i had read too that he was initially kind of hesitant to take the role um because he wasn't used to sci-fi but they did offer they said well we'll put some we'll put some songs in for you and so that was like one of the stipulations that apparently like got him towards it i was like and i made a note at this point in time it said wait is this a musical two notes <laughs> to that first is that apparently there were five or six songs in Jesus. the movie and they cut Almost all of them yep. for the final release. When I saw this song and also saw how gosh darn pretty it was, Pat Boone singing it, I went, is this a musical? <laughs> With a really excited voice. I know Bobby would hate it, but like I was fucking pumped. I was like, are they going to go to the center of the earth and sing fucking songs about dinosaurs down there? I the was so excited for that. They kind of do. I was... <laughs> Uh, he, brings the, he brings the accordion. He brings the accordion, which I assume would have been used for songs yeah. that were then cut. Because although there are two other songs, I guess, that show up that he sort of sings, there's really not too many other songs, unfortunately. Because um, I would have really loved... Journey to the Center of the Earth, the musical starring Pat Boone. <laughs> and um, this was the this is when I made the note that the the transfer was really good because you can like see the makeup on their faces in this like there are a bunch of close ups in the dining room or whatever it is the piano room and I'm just like holy yeah. shit they they put some work into this transfer. <laughs> this is no unidentified flying object. Oh, no. This is one they cared about. <laughs> God no, uh, that movie's 
garbage. I did look into it more. I was actually doing some pickup stuff for something I'm working on now. And we were talking about a friend of ours that had done some fan edits of the Star Wars trilogy. And then when he'd done it all in SD and then when HD came out, he was like, fuck, I guess I got to start over again. This VFX guy was saying, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. There, You can run it through an AI that'll just upgrade it from SD to HD for you now. And I was like, that's a I do know that Peter Jackson has proprietary developed technology uh, created by Weta that they used on the Beatles Get Back recordings because that was shot in 16 millimeter because it was originally intended to be a TV special. The original 16 millimeter print when it went to theaters looked like garbage because they were like, we shot this for TV. It's on 16 millimeter. It's not 35. Like, this was not supposed to look good. But on Disney Plus, it fucking looks amazing. And they used some proprietary AI technology to upscale the resolution for that. So certainly, yeah, that tech does exist. I'm not sure if our friend could grab that off (laughs) off the shelf kind of a thing. Oh, no, for sure. And like at the time our friend had done this, this was still like 10 years ago. So it was like – but it's like the fact that like we're at a point now where like that is possible is like crazy. They can do it for audio too now though too. They can take it and they can smooth out the audio. As well, I've seen some clips, and it's like the the audio is like the the AI is doing its best guess, and it's like mixing words or like they're inserting words that aren't actually there, but it's just like what it's interpreting as. So I'm imagining it's like mm-hmm. going to be a similar thing for the upres for the image, but you know, I, I have no doubt that it'll happen very quickly. <laughs> I'm hoping that soon you can just replace me with an AI. It'll save me some time. <laughs> and then this can just be AI, Sean, on the yeah. podcast. And I, I can do my other stuff. And it will edit um, live. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have another AI editing live. Yeah. Uh, we'll just have a team of AI. We don't really need anyone yeah, turn else. Turn next week to the AI wore tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> It's called the computer watch. <laughs> That's just redundant. That's a redundant change. Where are we in the movie now? They, the, the professor never shows up for dinner. Where's the professor? He got, he's a geology professor and he got so into that fucking rock that he got for the two shillings or whatever it was. And he threw the ram's head inkwell in the trash and he spent fair, fair. Even if there wasn't a world-changing discovery in that rock, (laughs) it would still be a better gift. (laughs) Uh, He spent all day trying to, uh, I guess, do research on this rock because it's a lava rock, but it's very heavy. So he's made his lab assistant work on it all day and night (laughs) without any breaks. Um, And they, uh, Jenny, I think that's her name, right? Yeah. His niece, Jenny. Yeah. And uh, Alec or Alex uh, show up at back the university and they're doing this experiment on it um because the 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 rock apparently makes no sense right they think it's super heavy but it shouldn't be yeah so the reason he's so consumed with this rock is that it's heavier than it should be the rock is volcanic fossilized rock that came from italy and so it should have a certain density and weight but it is much heavier than that And so he dug into it and he found that at its center is this other kind of Icelandic rock, which is much denser and heavier. And so he's trying to dig out what is at the center of this volcanic rock that came from Italy and solve the mystery of how there is this Icelandic rock in the middle of this Italian volcanic rock. So his idea is to burn off the volcanic rock to reveal the... Icelandic rock underneath, right? Well, he's using um, 
aqua regia, which is acid. Oh. So he's going to burn off. Like, you know, lava rocks are notoriously, you know, they don't burn because they have just currently, like, been molten rock, right? So it takes a quite high temperature to get that to uh, burn again there, Mr. Science Professor. He's putting it in a stove. I assume that some of the chemical process has a certain kind of optimal heat level. Um, but I think he was going to be using acid to uh, remove the outer shell of volcanic rock. Gotcha. Presumably, it wouldn't burn through this Icelandic rock because certain acids will only burn through certain kinds of rocks. He's the geologist. I'm not. I don't really care. Um, But it doesn't matter because it goes awry and the whole thing explodes. (laughs) My next next point then makes even more or less sense because uh, there's writing on this item they find inside the rock writing in blood and i was like (laughs) so that blood survived that explosion and all that acid now that you're telling me yeah i don't i don't understand that part okay just go all right it's a fucking movie all right indestructible (laughs) that is the least preposterous part of this movie okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) underneath is a surveyor's uh plumb bob this plumb bob this surveyor's tool i think probably to measure depths has some markings on it in old nordic runes um and the name of one arne saknusum and he's very excited about this because this is a famous icelandic geologist um on saturday i decided as research for this podcast to read jules verne's a journey to the center of the earth jesus did you yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. It's only like 300 pages. It's Jesus not very long. Christ. One of the key differences here, in addition to them being German, the equivalent of Alex character is not the professor's favorite student, but is the professor's nephew. That sure makes that Jenny relationship pretty weird. <laughs> the character of Jenny is not the professor's niece. It is the professor's daughter. Oh, God. I want to stress that the romantic relationship still exists. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's probably why they changed that element of the plot, because there are many long diatribes. It's written from the point of view of Alex's character, and he talks about his love for his cousin a lot in that book. Sure. Okay. So conveniently, they're like, why don't we just make him not related? Let's just move that over here. Uh, Rob, what happens next? Uh, well, they they find uh, this, as you said, this Bob. It's written in blood. They say, oh, my God, there must be journey to the center of the earth. I don't actually know how they how they get to it. Like, it's a bunch of they send letters to Iceland where he's like, hey, do you think this could be a thing? And then he doesn't hear back from this Icelandic professor. And then they're like, oh, no, that's your. Did you actually watch this movie? (laughs) Well, no, it's that. Okay. Uh, Yes. What happens next? He's familiar with the scientist's work and says he mentions that he was theorizing about what could be at the center of the earth and what could be going on. And so he references this work and says, oh, if this is indeed what it is, I need to send this to a university in Stockholm to verify that this this is Arnie oh, Saxon's okay. work. And then when he brings it up to the professors, they're like, oh, you mean the man who's looking for the lost city of Atlantis? He says, yes, yes, in his early career, but like he was focused on geology later and this was this was the end of his life's work and I might be able to pick up where he left off. Check off Atlantis. So he sends this information to Professor Gutenberg of Stockholm and he waits for a reply to see, is this person going to affirm my conclusions? Because he's become obsessed with the idea that Arne Saknussem finally did find the center of the Earth, because that's the only explanation he can think of for why this Icelandic plumbob would be in an Italian 
volcano. He then gets a response weeks later after he's just been like... After weeks of yelling at his servant saying, damn it, woman, I don't want tea. That's just how... It doesn't matter whether they're his servants. That's how he yells at every member of the fairer sex in this film. He gets back this letter from Stockholm where they're like, we don't know what the fuck happened to Professor Gutenberg. Uh, He uh, just (laughs) plum disappeared. Really super weird. He got your letter, and then uh, that was the last time anybody saw him. Uh, he went on a boat for Iceland. <laughs> and he's like, God damn it, Professor Gutenberg! Because he's he's now become aware that Professor Gutenberg is now racing him to discover the center of the earth in Iceland. He translates what's on the plumb bob. We got to talk about this, right? Because that's how he gets the information. Yeah. I don't remember what it says, clearly. <laughs> it's the instructions for how to get to the center of the earth. He says, oh, gotcha. You go to Mount Snuffleupagus in Iceland. I think, what's the name of it? Snaffles? Mount Snaffles? Something like that? Something like that. You wait for the sunrise on the last day of May. Yeah. You you build a a pole uh, 12 cubits long, and then you subtract two cubits to honor whatever the god, and then you put put the pole at a certain place, and and when the light comes through, it shows you where the Ark of the Covenant is uh, buried. Except in this particular case, it shows you where the center of the earth is. Turns out it's down. Turns out it's it's (laughs) down. down. (laughs) It's just down. (laughs) Well, now we know where the center of the earth is. Just go down. Down. (laughs) They're going to dig to the center of the earth, but they encounter some troubles. What troubles are those, Rob? Should I ask you, or did you actually watch this? (laughs) No, I watched it. There's henchmen in a carriage, right? Um, What's his name? Steve? Gutenberg? Steve Gutenberg. What's his name? Zach Newsom? Is it Gutenberg? Gutenberg. Gutenberg. Gutenberg, not Gutenberg. Um, Gutenberg. Yes. The goat? Can we just call him the goat? We can call him the goat. Yeah, so the goat uh, has arrived clearly before our uh, intrepid heroes, um, and he surveyed out this volcano, um, and he's also, I guess, hired some local thugs. Or so you think. Right. Uh, But then he's also purchased all of the supplies ahead of time. Uh, so our intrepid heroes show up to Iceland, uh, like, I'm assuming a couple of days before the 1st of May, and they're just like, we got nothing. We brought nothing with us. There's no supplies in this town. Um, we're just going to jump down this volcano. But they they do some reconnoitering, and they say, all right, we're going to have to go back to the hotel and uh, get our bearings from there. And on the way back... Uh, the professor, Lindenbrook. he gets clubbed on the back of the head and thrown into a feather factory? What is this place? <laughs> <laughs> Where they make all the feathers? It's like an Eiderdown yeah. uh, storage facility. So, goose down. All of a sudden, Gertrude makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they're thrown into this Eiderdown uh, yeah. storage facility, him and Alec. Um, they hear some tapping. And so they go to the wall, and they're like, "Some uh, someone else has been locked into this facility. They're trying to communicate with us. It must be Morse code. And so they, like, take out a pad of paper and a pencil, and they're trying to translate this Morse code. Yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts to the other side of the wall, and it's a goose tapping on the wall. It cuts back, and they keep trying to go through languages. They're like, is it Russian? Is it Russian Morse code? 
maybe not. Maybe it's French. Is this French Morse code? <laughs> and like, right. just like it's it's so random. I I can't I can't make out what it is. And it goes on for way too way long. Way too long. <laughs> and yet, I'm gonna say I laughed through the whole thing. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, despite the fact that it's very long, it felt like sideshow Bob stepping on rakes. <laughs> where no matter how long it went on, it just kept getting funnier to me. Like I thought it was so fucking funny. I thought it was such a hilarious gag that they kept. Yeah. Trying to translate this goose tapping on the wall, and they're so serious about it. And it cuts back to the goose, and it's just like you—you you know what it is. Like it keeps cutting back to the goose, and it's just yeah. like eating some seeds or whatever. It's perfect dramatic irony. I loved it. Did you guys notice that they just like sharpied some colors on this goose? They, apparently, they wanted a specific Canadian breed. Why would that be in Iceland, Ben? Um, well, they, because they—they wanted the way it looked. But they weren't able, there was something to do with animal imports, and they would have had to, like, pay extra to bring a foreign animal into the country. And so they were like, we'll just, like, paint it to look like one. It doesn't look like it at all. It doesn't look like a Canadian goose at all. Um, On the other side of the wall, we are introduced to Hans, who is a goose keeper. I guess. Who just goes along with their shit for the rest of the film. Like, Hans has got shit to do. So, in the book, they hire Hans to be their guy because they need someone to carry everything. And in the book, Heinz is an eider-down hunter. He hunts geese for their down. Um, so that is why they put all of these elements in the movie. Now, in the book, they specifically hire him like they go out to find someone who can carry everything. It's not like they run okay. into him and he just hangs out <laughs> with them for the rest <laughs> of the movie. Like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're going happens. down to the center of the earth? I'll come. I'm not doing anything. They keep, like, like talking to him because he doesn't speak English and they don't speak Icelandic. And so they're just like, go to the shop and buy us rope, you idiot. And he's just like, all right. And then he comes back and he has rope somehow. He's just very affable and he does what they ask. It is strange, though. Like, for the first part of the movie, I kept wondering, I'm like, does he know where they're going? Like, does right. he know yeah. they're going <laughs> to the center of the earth? Because I don't think he I does. just going climbing. He was up for some spelunking. He was not up for whatever the hell they were going to do. I'm like, Hans has his own shit to do. Don't leave this handsome man. Don't don't just treat this guy like he's... Come Sir on. Oliver Lindenbrook is a fun guy to have around, but boy, is he an ass. He is an asshole to right? everybody that isn't Alec. Everyone. Everyone that isn't Everyone. Alec. He's a huge fucking dick. He's just the worst. But it's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> it's super fun to watch. <laughs> I love him in this movie. He's so funny. But he's an asshole. Like, I mean, that's his that's his character trait. It's just he's just an asshole to everybody. And insufferable. I actually kind of found him sort of insufferable. They're just like, hey, professor, what's this? Oh, it is this specific thing that I couldn't possibly know, but I'm whipping this fact out of the because I have to for the plot. And he does that so many times. He's a professor. He knows everything. Yeah. Fine, I guess. I don't know. He he says it so many times. He was knighted. What do you think he was knighted for? He was knighted for knowing everything. All right? You don't get knighted for nothing. It's either that or writing candle in the wind. Those are the two things that get you knighted. Yeah. What's really funny is I was going to say that. That was what I was going to pull. <laughs> and to be fair, he, 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 didn't, he didn't write candle in the wind. He rewrote lyrics to an existing song. That's his own song. And he also didn't write the lyrics. First of all, the lyrics for both versions are written by Bernie Toppin, who was not knighted. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Okay. writing lyrics <laughs> does not get you knighted. That's true. It's just writing the music. Okay. I, I didn't realize it was his own song he'd reworked. Yeah, it's his own song. It's The original one is about Marilyn Monroe, yeah, and okay. it's from 1973 from the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road double okay. album. 
Goodbye, Norma Jean. And then the re- remake for Princess Diana was just changing the lyrics. Which gets you knighted. That sucks so much for Bernie Toppin. For Bernie Toppin? That he wasn't knighted? <laughs> you think Bernie Toppin should have been knighted? Only in the past, I want to say, like, three to four years did I realize that Elton John didn't write the lyrics to any of his music. I don't know if that was a common fact that most people know. A lot of popular singers don't even write their own songs or lyrics. That's actually I, I, very uh, common. Totally, 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 totally. But the fact that, like, no, yes, I agree. But usually there's a committee that writes it, or it's like people write specific songs for here and there. But it's like, it's Elton John and Bernie Toppin have been this writing partnership, this, this musical partnership for how many decades? And up until, honestly, like, the movie with Taron Edgerton was coming out, did I not realize that Bernie Toppin was a person, full stop. I thought it was just all Elton John. Well, I mean, you can say Bernie Toppin got a raw deal, but think about the period of time in which they were no longer working together, because in the late 70s, they split up as a writing duo, and Bernie Toppin went on to write, We Built This City on Rock and Roll. (laughs) For Jefferson Starship? Which is apparently... For Jefferson Starship. Apparently, that is the worst song, according to Rolling Stone, ever made. It is Rolling Stone's worst song ever written. I'm not gonna gonna argue. Between the two of them, I think... uh, Bernie Toppin proved that he needed Elton John more than vice versa. All right. We are well, – this is tangent the episode. <laughs> Which we Look, it, it's, it's, a, it's a long journey and there's a lot to see on the way, but we'll get to the center of the earth. Yeah. It's like 265 days we've spent on this episode. All right. So they get they, they get out of the, um, the goose feathers. Uh, Hans just <laughs> tags along for the rest of the movie. And uh, they go back to confront Professor Gothenburg because they're like, we know it was you. And they storm into his room at the hotel and they find him there. There's just one problem. He's dead. Dun, bum, dun, bum, dun. <laughs> Bob, what happens next? They discover all of the gear that they would like to take and have be theirs after breaking into his room. Yep. Yes. But they find him dead, and the professor's like, oh, this is like in that episode of The Simpsons where the comic book guy says he has Skittles in his beard. We need to comb it and see what's in there. And it's not Skittles he finds, but cyanide. Yeah, he finds crystals of potassium cyanide in the beard. Just as I suspected. Yeah. Cyanide. Just as I suspected. <laughs> he's a geologist, but he he apparently knows poison. As like you said, he's a, he's, he's a fucking knight. <laughs> and he didn't write yeah. Candle in the Wind, so we know he knows yeah. everything. Those are the two rules. <laughs> um, right, 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 right. Gothenburg is dead. Someone else has been trying to stop them from getting to the center of the Earth. But who could it be? Well, that will have to wait for a moment, because for now, we need to get our hands on all of this equipment. And so, luckily, Gothenburg's wife shows up, Carla, and although she's quite distraught that her husband is dead, Lindenbrook sidles up, and he's like, uh, so, uh, what were you planning to do with all this stuff here? <laughs> this may not be the best time. No, no, no. He says, so... So your husband died, but can we have all his shit? And then he says, it's mine by right. And she's like, fuck off, get the fuck out of here. And then the next day she comes back and she's like, I've thought about it. You can use the stuff, but I'm coming with you and we're... After she reads his diary, right? She reads his diary. That's written in English. Which is in English. And and it specifically lays out like, it's a good thing I stole that jackass Littenbrook's plans. This is going really well for me. (laughs) And he says, I must fight him somehow. And then like, her, her immediate reaction isn't, Oh, maybe these guys killed my husband? They're like, <laughs> I should partner with them and give them all the stuff. Yeah. That's like literally the last entry in his diary is, I must fight them somehow. <laughs> and then he shows up dead, and she's not in the least bit suspicious of them. Yeah. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. No. 
That just doesn't make any sense. They should be the, <laughs> they should be suspect number one. <laughs> so, right? Considering they were like broke into his room. They're also the ones that found him dead. Yeah. The last one had the cyanide on them. Yeah, like, P.S., he's dead, and here's all this cyanide on my hand. (laughs) Anyway, can we have his stuff? Anyway, she doesn't put two and two together, that they obviously killed her husband, and instead she decides to partner with them (laughs) and go with them into the center of the earth to honor her husband's memory. Makes perfect sense. They're victim. So they go back (laughs) to Mount Snuffleupagus, and they wait for uh, the, you know, the light to shine through the prism on the stick and show them where the... Ark of the Covenant is buried. So they find the particular hole in the crater at Mount Snuffleupagus that they have to go through to get to the center of the earth, according to Arnie Saknusum. And then they just start spelunking. There's, then there's spelunking for an hour. There's a lot, a lot of, of spelunking. spelunking. <laughs> yeah, Spelunking in the uh, Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. That's where they shot some of this. Um, that's probably where they used the cinemascope. Uh, <laughs> we, we skipped over all of the sexist remarks that... Uh, what do you mean skipped? Uh, they happen continuously yeah. through the movie. Yeah. Well, he's so incredulous, though, when she says so she's coming with him. He's just like, what? <laughs> but you're a what? <laughs> Like, he's just, sorry for being in the microphone, but that's, like, what he does. He, like, screams at her. He's just, he can't believe no. that she is, A, a woman, or yeah. B, wants to go with them. Normally, this kind of thing would bug me in a movie more. It's not to say that it's okay, but she pushes back. Like, her response to that is, what does my sex have to do with any of this? Yep. Like, either I'm coming or you're not going. I also think it works because of the way James Mason plays it. Because he's so absurd. He's you know? so incredulous. He's so comically absurd. He's just like, oh, 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 and he's just like storming around. And it's so over the top that you, I I can't help but laugh. It's just funny. It's just like, I can't, oh, fine, we'll take a woman. What's next? Oh, my God. Bring the duck along. There's a large portion of this film that is pre-journey to the center of the earth. Yeah. Because, like, by the time they go into yeah. this hole, it's about 45 minutes into the movie. And a lot of this has been traveling to Iceland, mysterious murder, who's the killer, how are they going to get supplies? Like, there's a lot of kind of, like, steps along the way. <laughs> and now that they're actually going into the center of the earth, you're already, like, 45 minutes into the movie. I was just going to say, um, we were talking about the score, um, and they never do it again. But there is one music cue that I want to point out. Do you, know, do you remember the scene where they're first rappelling down the volcano to that little ledge? Yeah. I don't know what he did, but it was just heart music, like, yeah. and it's like the rope repelling theme. Like, they didn't know what to do for that, so they just used it. And it's not like they did it for the first time. Every time someone went down, they played that exact same music cue. And I thought there was going to be themes for different types of climbing, <laughs> like music themes, but they didn't do it. It's just the one. Well, Bernard Herrmann was, you know, he was an instigator of the concept of motifs in film scoring and that was the motif for the rope only one yeah. thing had a motif in this film <laughs> it was the rope <laughs> he didn't have exactly. a character theme he just that's had the why rope. i thought he was gonna have more <laughs> what do we want to say about the spelunking uh, is there anything to say about the spelunking there's lots of it i mean we could go through a few little sure, bits here go ahead well i guess we find out Right away that they're not alone on their journey. There is... Mysterious man watching them. uh, Watching them from the onset, and we get the feeling that they're being followed and underground, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the dowel rod thingamajigger that they got out of the rock, there was three marks on it. Yep. Right? Arnie's Sack Newsom's little 
mark. There is kind of like a track to follow, a trail to follow underground, because they find these three marks periodically, and they're following on this guy's path to the center of the earth. So they kind of know they're going in the right direction. They're, one thing they did, they're going underground for a very long time. You kind of had this, like, trail to follow, so it kind of felt like it, it didn't really feel claustrophobic um, or, like, that they were in peril too, too much because they were following this trail. Right. I thought that was kind of, like, a, a kind of a way to, like, follow along with the characters, that it wasn't just kind of like they're making it up as they go, even though clearly they are because these guys are all idiots. And then our shadowy figures, uh, they catch on to this and they pass them in the night. Yeah, they try to sabotage the trail that Arnie Sack Newsom has, has left them in order to send them off on the yeah. wrong path. Okay, so I want to say something here. In the book, there's no trail. Oh, really? <laughs> there's two kind of big differences in the book. Arnie Sacknusum did not send a plumb bob out of a volcano in Italy. They find the record and instructions from Arnie Sacknusum just like in a book that they got from like a used bookstore, which is so much lamer. It's so much lamer. He just like has a book and he's just like written in the book is like instructions on how to get to the center of the earth. And he's like, oh, that's convenient. Did, did, did Arnie publish this before he went down to the center of the earth? Because we find him dead at the center okay. of the earth. In the movie, they find him dead at the center of the earth. In the book, he did. He, he went down and he, and he came out again. He did not die down there. He, he got out okay. and then he left a little message where he's like, for anyone who wants to go to the center of the earth, it's pretty dope. <laughs> <I was down laughs> Here's how you get there. <laughs> Here's my directions. So our professor is just like, he's just like, oh, I got a map? Instructions? It was published. He does not have a map and he does not have instructions. He has the Mount Snuffleupagus no, thing. Like, like, That's this it? This guy did all of it. This guy did all of it and published it. And like, he's like, I'm going on an expedition. And you're like, it's already been hey, found. No, no, no. I want to make clear. I guess I'm not making this clear. He did not publish it. He wrote it on like the margin of a book that he had. So it's just like a okay, used book okay. that Arnie Sack Newsom has like written a note in where he's like, if you want to go to the center of the earth, I was down there is pretty dope uh you go down I there i thought that was Mount the used book it was called if you want to go to the center of the earth it's pretty dope here's some instructions <laughs> he's like i'm gonna be the yeah. first man <laughs> that's what i thought okay thanks for clarifying it's like a scholastic publication it's a paperback <laughs> got it at an airport yeah. enough copies yeah. made that there's like a used copy at a bookstore someone's like oh you know i read it it was good but <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> I got the gist of it. Mount Snuffleupagus. That's where you go. I figured it out. <laughs> I went down there. It wasn't as good as he said. Um, and, and that's why. And that's why the 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 Swiss guy or whatever and the other Icelandic guy they all got a copy of the book and they're all just like, hey, how you doing? I see you got the same. Hey, book no, that's as me. the thing. There's no other people going down. So there's no evil villains uh, following them. There's no okay. Count Sack Newsom. There's no other professor who's trying to race them to the center of the earth. There's no state. There's two characters, essentially. There is the professor and his nephew and Hans, who doesn't speak English, essentially. Oh, wow. In the book, his nephew, Alec, it's a German equivalent of Alec, and I forget offhand what it is, um, but I'm going to call him Alec. It's written from his perspective, and he is the whiniest little bitch. He spends the entire book <laughs> basically going, I don't want to go to the center of the earth. <laughs> I don't care how dope it is. <laughs> <laughs> the book said it was going to be dope, but I don't think it's so dope. <laughs> and his uncle is 
spends the entire book going, shut up! <laughs> dragging it to the center of the earth. What a fucking thing to do. <laughs> There's no path for them to follow. So I want to now come to two other things that are different in the book. The first is that when they go underground, they just fucking wander around for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the second is that in the movie, as soon as they go underground, one of the first things that... Uh, Professor Lindbrook says is he's like, now, here's a few rules we all need to follow. The first is we always need to keep a breathing apparatus near us. And the second is we're going to distribute our uh, lamps in a certain way. And the third is drink as much water as you want. We're sure to find more. <laughs> yeah. Which I assume has to be a joke for people who have read the book because the plot of the book like 75% of it is them not having water and being delirious and dying of thirst. And Serious? Alec being like, we have not drank water. We are dying. Can we please stop going to the center of the earth? And his uncle going, shut up. <laughs> Just keep going <laughs> to the center of the earth. Okay, that clearly has to be a joke because that's they, – they point it out. They hang a lantern on it. Washing their socks with it and everything. Like, water's no object. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pat Boone singing a song in a, in, a, in a shower. They got nothing but water. At one point, they almost drowned. That's how much water they have. <laughs> Seriously, so much of this book is them wandering around caverns with no path and no water. And there's an entire, like, two chapters devoted to them coming to, like, a fork in the road. And the professor just being like, that's ah, probably this way. And then they walk down this path for a week and then it comes to a dead end and he's like oh fuck let's go back <laughs> they walk back without water and alec is just like i'm so upset right now. yeah that doesn't happen in this at no all. it does not they, as rob said they, they have they have so much water that they bathe in it they're like he's singing in the shower he's dropping soap in it like there's just water water everywhere so let's all have a drink then uh what else happens oh yeah they find the the hot springs where they're taking showers and then, it looks uh, delightful. Like the crystal hot spray. <laughs> it is dope. No wonder he wrote about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to check out these it's hot springs. They're so fucking right? dope. Yeah. You got to walk underground for two months, but they're worth it. Like, really? It's I worth like, it. So, yeah. Because as Rob said, so when they find the when they find the crystal hot springs, uh, Gertrude goes the right way. And everyone's like, no, 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 you stupid goose. The sign clearly says that way. And then they all almost die. And then they say, how could that have happened? It cuts back to the goose quacking and flailing its arms at them as if to say, like, I fucking told you, you should have listened to me. It really made me laugh. <laughs> I just want to point out that, weirdly enough, this is like the fourth movie we've watched where someone is constantly carrying a goose around or a duck. Yeah. Like, it's very common in these films. It is. I, I, I don't know why. There's so many movies. Um, like, every time I wrote down the note, I was like, like, every time. Every time I wrote a note about, about the duck. Bring me <laughs> that, me that duck. Um, but there's also uh, unidentified flying oddball. She's constantly carrying a duck around. It's just everywhere in these films. Yeah, that's, what the fuck is that? What is that? What, 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 what is was that? going on at the time? Was it fashionable? Yeah. Is that something we're missing out on? Do we need to bring it back? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just had a goose on them at all Everyone times. Had a goose. We're all carrying a goose around, as was the fashion at the time. <laughs> Nobody wants to be seen outside this summer without a goose. But then, uh, what's his name? Fucking Alec, the dumbass, like, character. He just is like, oh, I'm gonna fall down this hole. 
for like the third time and then gets separated from the I mean, the first time he fell down a hole, it, he landed in the crystal hot spring. So I'm sure he was like, but this got to be better one level down. There's like a whole, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of the movie of him wandering around by himself, right? Yeah, it's not very long, but it he, he does get long. separated. And so he's lost for a while. And then he takes off his shirt so that you can ogle Pat Boone, I guess. And then he like yeah. cuts off his pants. <laughs> Because he's like, I'm not showing enough skin. Well, okay, but then he runs into the villain, Count Sacknusum, who reveals uh, his evil plan, which is, oh, I've fallen you down here so that I can claim the center of the earth for myself, because it's actually my great, 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 great grandfather that found it. So I feel entitled to this entire realm. And he calls it a realm. This is my realm. He says, I am the owner of this domain. And so he's planning to either kill them or steal their stuff, but probably both. Yeah, I'd say both. Uh, He doesn't seem to have a good plan. And he's already like fucked himself because he's like, oh, the guy I brought down to help me is dead. So now why don't you help me? It's like, no, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> He's look, everyone's looking for Alec at this point because they don't know where he is. He's like, I'm going to shoot you now. And he shoots him with his gun. And so they hear that. And then they race over there. And they're like, oh, hi, Count. We're going to put you on trial. Yes. What is this courtroom scene? What is this courtroom scene? I I mean, I did I did enjoy that he, as a knight, just took him upon himself to be judge, jury, and executioner. Like, literally. I really don't think this uh, <laughs> follows any kind of principles of the administration of justice because he keeps calling yeah. it a trial, a fair trial, yeah. but he just gets yeah. like the victim to decide whether it happened. <laughs> he gets he gets the, the 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 murdered person's spouse and the guy who got shot at by him, and they're just like, "Is he guilty? Yep, guilty." I think I think the duck quacks in agreement. Yeah, <laughs> well, the duck is the closest thing to an objective third party that they have, so he really should have been the entire jury. The duck is objectively the smartest member of the group, easily. Like the, the duck knows what's up. So they decide to just break him along because they're like well if no one's gonna kill him even though this is my idea fine he can come with us and eat our food and drink our water it'll be fine i uh i, I read a i read an IMDb trivia and it was uh iceland has had is one of the oldest dem- democracies in the world and so they got rid of like you know counts or dukes or anything like that so mr count sacknusen would not be a thing maybe his first name is count yeah ah yes <laughs> it's an icelandic name <laughs> you need like james mason needs another asshole to battle with like this movie is like journey to the center of the earth the battle of the assholes and like it's it's like Judge Reinhold. <laughs> yeah, Count that's what Sack it is. Right. Okay. Makes sense. He doesn't correct people, though. He wants people to think. Uh, that's because he's a jackass. Okay. <laughs> I got to say something here. So this is like coming up on an hour into the movie, and it's a two-hour film. This is close to about the halfway point, I guess. At this point in the movie, I was digging the hell out of it. I got to say. Uh, yeah? I was watching this, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, fuck, is this like is this, like, going to be my top five? Like, this is a fucking good movie. Like, I was digging the shit out of all of it. It's an adventure to the center of the earth. James Mason is having fun and bumbling around. Pat Boone sings a nice song at one point. It's in CinemaScope. (laughs) There's, like, a murder mystery that they throw in there. It's better than the book. It's better than the Jules Verne book. There's, like, a whole bunch of other new plot developments, and it's all really interesting. And this was about the last time I thought that. Yeah. I think the movie goes downhill pretty bad <laughs> after this point um <laughs> metaphorically and literally <laughs> i guess other stuff happens it's just not that interesting in my opinion <laughs> they keep going further we find out it's day 265 at one point 
<laughs> that's what's insane. And, and they've been living. They don't have a change of clothes. They have nope. been walking for no. 265 days, eight and a half months to the center of the earth with right. only like salted beef to live on. They would have died so much, uh, so many times from malnutrition uh, and lack of vitamins and all that jazz. But they, it's not like Lord of the Rings where they have this nutrient bread that's just like, oh, it's perfect that we have this sex bread that could just, we could live off of. They would have to carry so much food with them. And they don't have anything. Eight and a they half don't months. have anything. They have a backpack. <laughs> like, they don't even have like a pickaxe on them to like, <laughs> if they came to some sort of obstacle they couldn't dig their way out and they have nothing they brought some lanterns and an air mask which they use once they carried those things for nine months underground and they were just like well i guess we didn't need these things like (laughs) we probably should have brought some fruit we should have brought more food okay so here's another difference with the book in the book, they do not travel for eight and a half months. The total time spent underground in the book is 47 days. That's believable. <laughs> and you know why? Because in the book, they don't get to the center of the earth. They don't even really get close. Really? <laughs> they just kind of go down a ways. It's journey <laughs> to down a ways is really what the book is. Um, attempt, attempt a journey to the center of the earth. <laughs> failed journey to the center of the earth (laughs) they get down about a hundred miles the center of the earth is about two thousand miles so they're one twentieth of the way to the center of the earth in the book right because in the book they basically get to that sunless sea you know um the underground ocean then they kind of like hang out there for a while. But that in the movie is the center of the earth. It's so anticlimactic. Yeah, They're just like, we're at the center of the earth. <laughs> That's not the earth. Fucking sucks. <laughs> it's an ocean. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a random place the, in the, the ocean. That's because in the book, they don't get there. I think somebody was like, this movie's called Journey to the Center of the Earth. Shouldn't they get to the center of the earth? I just called this the center of the earth. We're here. Yeah. And, and I, I get what you guys are saying. And I think at this point, too, is they've done all the character building and the rest of the movie is walking Fox flexing their effects budget. <laughs> yeah. We have a mushroom kingdom. We have these giant lizards that definitely aren't just household pets. We glued <laughs> sails to fins onto. <laughs> Um, How we have an ocean have? in the middle. There's so many of them. There's a lot. That scene got a chuckle out of me. They escape the lizard. I'm like, oh, wow, that was a close call. And the lizard goes and tells all of his lizard friends, like, dude, there's people <laughs> down here. Come eat them with me. Come lizard buddies. Come and with me. And they all are just like, oh, my God, people? Yeah, let's fucking eat them. And he gets like 50 yeah. lizards to come. It's pretty funny. It's like two minutes of screen time. It's just them having shots of lizards. <laughs> like, there's so many lizards. It's the lizard has to go to every single lizard and tell them. There's always a shot of it going ma and the other lizards going ma and then like coming out of the cave to follow him <laughs> so many lizards <laughs> i fucking hated those lizards i mean i <sighs> for the time that shit would have been amazing i think maybe i don't know 59 imagine the scene with done with ray harryhausen it would have been a lot more fun way more fun yeah. if it was stop motion that would have been way better like i don't know why they didn't do something like that see the other thing is Twenty thousand leagues under the sea was like four or five years earlier. They have a giant squid in that movie. It's fucking amazing. Like the special effects in Twenty Thousand yeah. Leagues Under the Sea are amazing. This movie is a joke. <laughs> it's also so 
boring and dumb. Like they just see these lizards and they're like, run into the lake. And then the lizards walk away. They're like, run out of the lake. And then there's just shots of these lizards walking around that looks just like lizards. And you're like, are you kidding me? In the book, not only do they run into mastodons and giant humans that are 10 feet tall, they go out into the ocean and there's a giant sea battle. There's a whole chapter devoted to an ichthyosaurus fighting a plesiosaurus in the middle of the ocean, which are these two like dinosaur crocodile creatures and they're caught in the middle of it on their boat and it's like dramatic as fuck and then there's a lightning storm where there's like these fire balls of lightning that are shot down at the little boat none of that happens in this movie like you have so much exciting shit and they're just like we're not gonna do that in our big budget two-hour epic like, why? What? Why did they not do any of it? I don't understand. It's not to save time for songs, because they cut those out. <laughs> they they find the underground ocean. They go <laughs> out funny. onto the ocean, except, unlike in the book, nothing fucking happens, except they're just like, oh, hey, turns out this is the middle of the earth. Yeah, yeah. There's a magnetosphere that the con- confluence of the different magnetic poles tells us this is the Correct. And 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 yeah. magnets. Uh, how do they work? Uh, apparently, they make vortexes. They get pulled into and then they come out in Atlantis. Tell us how you really feel, Sean. <laughs> I just don't like. I don't like this whole third act. It's so bad. And I was so enjoying the film. I was just so let down. One thing I actually wanted to point out j- just before all this stupid shit happens, and it's when they're hanging out in the Mushroom Kingdom, eating mushroom stew and porridges and all that fun stuff. Yeah, um, don't eat the I mushrooms, notice- Alec. You're an idiot. Like, <laughs> honestly, Alec is such a big idiot. Like, he, he gets lost because he just wanders off. He trips and falls because he's singing a fucking song. Like, watch where you're going, Alec. And don't eat the mushrooms that you find underground. So they pop out in Atlantis, which I guess is directly below the center of the Earth, which would make it directly above the center of the Earth. Not really sure how that works out. And so what they find in Atlantis is a whole lot of fucking nothing except for the skeleton of Arnie Sacknusen. Atlantis is like the size of like a small warehouse. It's like smaller than the warehouse at the end of Citizen Kane where all of Citizen Kane's junk was kept. Like, yeah, Charles Foster Kane had more junk than the total area of Atlantis, apparently. So Arnie Sacknusen's skeleton is pointing at a vent that goes straight up to a volcano in Italy. Hey, this is how they got that plumb bob because he threw it into this vent which is acting, I I guess, sort of like a wind tunnel. Yeah. But they can't get up that way because there's some rocks blocking the path, which is, I guess, why Arnie himself was stuck down there, too. It was only large enough to throw his little plumb up. And so they say, hey, let's blow a hole in it. So they put some gunpowder there. Uh, they explode it. The painted lizards show up again. They're like, no, painted lizards, no! And then when they explode the rock, it triggers a volcanic explosion from the center of the earth. Then they ride a giant bowl. A giant bowl of asbestos. So they they ride this bowl up the volcanic chimney, and they come out in Italy. I gotta ask, and over the course of how many hundreds of years since Arnie was down there, none of the lizards decided to eat this tasty-looking man? (laughs) 
Oh, that one lizard clearly picked his bones. No, but his finger was still pointing. Was it just luck? He was just like, I gotta leave his hand. That was his dying wish. He just licked it clean. It was like, all right, I'll leave the yeah, bones. I like The it. lizard right. takes tiny bites like it's a cob of corn. Yeah. I want to save him. I don't want him to go too fast. <laughs> we only get so many Icelandic people, people down, don't here. down here. Very often. <laughs> we only get so many people down here. <laughs> so then they get up to the surface, and then they go back to Edinburgh, where everyone is going to celebrate their huge accomplishment of going down a ways and then coming back. They do. There's a weird joke that I kind of liked. It's so weird because they're celebrating Professor Lindenbrook and Alec comes out and he's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I thought they cut something. I was like, that's weird. I don't remember that happening. But then someone goes up to him at the end of the movie and they're like, oh, you must have hurt yourself going down to the center of the earth. And his now wife, so he's married Jenny. Well, they've been engaged for a year. Because <laughs> he was underground the whole time. Um, she's yeah. like, oh no, he got, he did that to himself on our wedding day. He was so excited. He tripped down the stairs to the church. And then she goes, oh, you poor woman. And you waited so long to be married and you haven't been able to enjoy it. And then she goes, oh, you underestimate Alec. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Okay. All right. 1959. The dude has been underground with like three dudes for a year. Like he wasn't going to let a broken leg stop him. That's the end of it. And then it's over. It's kind of a long movie for what it is. It's like a little over two hours. Yeah. And most of it is spelunking. It's all spelunking, Sean. <laughs> it's one of several adaptations of this. There's a lot of adaptations of this book as well. There's a 1977 Australian cartoon. There is a 1988 version, which is apparently unwatchable, that the original director was fired and replaced by Albert Puyan. I don't know if you guys have ever seen an Albert Puyan film. He did the film Cyborg with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He also did, uh, he also did the film Nemesis, uh, which I watched during the pandemic. Uh, he then combined those two franchises into a franchise called Cyborg Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to the late Avaprium, but when it when you hire him to fix your movie, you're in for a world of trouble. The movie stars Emo Phillips. Oh my god, the movie stars Emo Phillips? He kind of turned it into a sequel of a film called Alien from L.A., which was already kind of loosely based on Journey to the Center of the Earth, apparently. And so when they brought him in, he just rehired the lead from that film and worked his version into being a sequel to a movie he made. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And now I really want to see it. I really <laughs> want to see that. Um, there's a 1993 uh, made-for-TV movie for NBC. There's a Hallmark series from 1999. Wedding at the Center of the Earth. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Christmas at the Center of the Earth. Only on Hallmark. In 2008, you have three adaptations of Journey to the Center of the Earth. You have not only Brendan Fraser's, there is the Asylum's direct-to-video Journey oh, to the okay, Center yeah. of the Earth to compete with that. And also... A 2008 TV movie starring Peter Fonda that all came out in 2008. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Wow. Everything I've read is said, like, just, just watch the 1959 version. It's the best one. I've seen the 2008 Brendan Fraser version, and uh, I, I, it's better than this. All right, Bob, why don't you go first? What do you think? This movie's kind of silly fun. Um, it's very dated. It's very hokey. As you say, the, as much as hokey as the last act is, James Mason is a lot of fun in this movie, and... I kind of dug it as like a piece of like classic sci-fi. I think I'm going to put this at number 
15. So that's just below Willow and above George of the Jungle. All right. There you go. Rob, what did you think? I kind of echoed you, Sean. At the beginning, I liked the first half. And then it it, only spelunking takes over. (laughs) The acting was kind of in the same page as um, Blackbeard's Ghost to me. You know, it's kind of fun watching these old school actors and the way they're the way they deliver lines and stuff. I was kind of just, I could take it or leave it. Like, legitimately, I thought I was going to like this movie a lot more than I ended up doing it, so I might be a little bit more hard on it because of that, because it did feel like it had a lot of potential, and then kind of went nowhere. Um, so I've actually, unintentionally, but now I'm looking at my list, I put it, I've got 40 movies on my list, I put it right in the middle, it's number 20. So it is uh, above Blackbeard's Ghost... Uh, but below Rain of Fire. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pull maybe a bit of a surprise here. I'm actually above both of you. Oh, wow. Um, you dug it a lot more. I gave this movie a very hard time in that second half, and I stand by that. Considering this movie's two hours, and yet it feels like they're like, fuck, fuck, uh, we got to wrap this up. They're not at the center of the earth yet. Just say it's the center of the earth. Just just say this is it. This is the center of the earth. They, they did it. Now they're going home. <laughs> Hooray! Um, and then there's just lizards everywhere that look so fucking dumb. Despite that, I really, really loved the first half. I think that carries the movie in my estimation of very long ways. And I just kind of liked the aesthetic. I like seeing a cinemascope 1950s big budget epic with James Mason just having a great time. I'm going to put this just above Blackbeard's Ghost, but for me, that's number 12. Those are pretty close. Yeah. So that's about it for us. I think we're close to done. We've already talked about movies from the year 1959. What else is there to do? Talk about what we're going to do next week. And what's coming up next week is either a very special episode on High School Musical, but if not that, What's it going to be, Rob? So I have three options, and I'm going to let you guys pick. Uh, but okay? is this like it doesn't matter what you, door you yeah. pick, there's some monster behind it? No matter what we do, we lose. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, God. But it's going to be the closest one of my picks before St. Patty's Day. We've already done Darby O'Gill. So, and my wife has been kind of telling me that she wants us to do this. Uh, the 2001 Disney Channel original, The Luck of the Irish. Oh, fuck off. Which is, when his luck charm is stolen, Kyle learns that he is part leprechaun, and he plays basketball. Just just, just get to the other two choices. Yeah, what are the other options, Rob? Let's assume we're not doing that one. What's the other option? Let's hope we're not doing that one, but based on what could possibly come out of your mouth, I might be watching a movie about a leprechaun that plays basketball. (laughs) I'm going to put it to the group. I I don't actually want to do this, but I think it might be a hilarious... Be terrible, or C, just an experiment. Uh, <coughs> Taylor Swift folklore, the Long Pond Studio sessions, where she just records all of her songs. <laughs> and I have to make you guys watch that. <laughs> what the fuck is what? behind door number three? <laughs> what is wrong? Why this are you so doing much this? Worse? Why are you doing this to us? Because I am an agent of chaos, and this is hilarious. When I said I decided I didn't want to hurt the people I loved anymore, and you said, I need to rethink my choices, your thought was, hurt them more. And the other one, and this one is actually, because I, I, I've i been meaning to watch it. I don't know why I've been meaning to watch it, but I haven't got around to it. It's the John Favreau remake of The Lion King. I haven't oh, watched it, and I kind of want to. I know, I know. And I'm never going to watch it unless I do it for this podcast. 
and we're gonna have to watch it eventually. Those so I put are it on the, the three list. options. Fuck. Yep. Yeah, I know. Oh, this is this is so painful. Listeners, you should see their faces. <laughs> oh my God. Bobby has closed his eyes. He's thinking about his happy place. It's the center of the earth where these movies don't exist. I have to I have to inquire. So this Taylor Swift thing, this is a documentary. This is a full-length documentary. Yeah, it is a full-length documentary. It is an hour and 46 Holy minutes. Holy fuck. <sighs> and so it's about her... An intimate musical concert featuring Taylor Swift performing every song from folklore. <laughs> what are we going to talk about for that? What are we going to talk about, Rob? You put that on the list on purpose, knowing we would never pick it. And that we would either have to pick The Lion King or this fucking basketball leprechaun movie. That was on purpose, and that's why you put it in the middle of this fucking teeter-totter of a decision. Fuck. Another Disney Channel movie where a leprechaun plays basketball? 2001 uh, movie, an hour and 26 minutes. Who's in it? I'm looking at this right now. Honestly, my pick was going to be The Lion King because I'd been wanting to watch it, and I just, every time, I even turned it on, and then I turned it off. I was like, I don't want to watch this. But for whatever reason, I feel like... Why are we doing it then, Rob? Why? Because we have to watch everything, Sean. Why are we doing any of this? Who's in the Leprechaun movie, Bob? (laughs) Timothy Obmanson's in it. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. We do all three of them. <laughs> it's the it's the only logical answer. Oh my god! Because then we get these three films off the list, and we never have to talk about them ever again. <laughs> and no, and this works really perfectly because then that removes three of Rob's choices for our future choices for the film picking. Basically, I'm treating this like dental surgery, where they're like, "Okay, you have three fillings. Do you want to come in three different times?" Or do you just want to do them all at once? <laughs> you do them all at once. You have you do them all at once. Okay, so we're doing all three of them for next week. So listeners, Jesus. tune in next week <laughs> when we do Luck of the Irish, the Disney Channel film, along with some fucking Taylor Swift <laughs> documentary, along with <laughs> the John Favreau oh Lion God, King I'm remake. I'm so excited. This is terrible. I had shit to do this week, Rob. I had shit to do. And you forgot to read our review. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, we got to do the review. We didn't do that today. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Yes, actually. Um, we have one was a reply post in a comment, but it was kind of glowing and it sounds like a review. So I want to read it. All right, do it. Uh, Adrian. Uh, in a post says, I haven't listened in depth to all the episodes because I haven't watched the movies. But upon hearing the anonymous reviewer gave you guys five stars, I had to take a closer gander and realize the podcasts are worth listening to and in that of themselves. Besides that reviewer, God bless their soul, and you three, count me as the fifth listener minimum easily. I've heard bits of some here and there, but I'm going to start at one and try catch up to number 31. Thank you for your service in the name of entertainment. That is a pretty good review. I like that review. And now I don't have to play my my sad follow-up Nobody wrote a review this week. All right. Well, tune in next week for the worst experience of our lives. Taylor Swift Folklore, The Long Pond Studio Sessions. An hour and 46 minutes. The Lion King, two hours and seven minutes. And Luck of the Irish, an hour and 26 minutes. I mean, we got to turn this off. I got to watch one of these tonight. Well, you know what I You know what I have to say to that, Rob? What? It's called the podcast or tennis shoes. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. 
We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at Podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. Uh, you're going to cut this, but it's just a joke for you. Uh, indestructible blood? What, what did Catsman and the Whale write this? <laughs> <laughs> now you can put it in. It's a funny joke that only a few people will say. Yeah, only you and I will get it. <laughs> uh, that's right, because I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. You should say, uh, what is this, magic blood? What did Orchie and Kurtzman write this movie? There you go. <laughs> Even less sense. <laughs>